Welcome to the original Vegan Business Talk with myself, Shane Jeremy James, where I discuss life-changing business advice with vegan companies who are making a true difference in the world. Hey everybody, welcome back to the next episode. And today we have Servetus. Did I get the name right? Nick Servetus. Yeah. All right, all right, there we go. So we just we were actually just uh, going through before we got on the pronunciation of that. So I had to say it right away because I'm like, if I don't get if I don't pronounce it, it's gonna be I'm gonna butcher this, right? <laughs> Yours is nice and simple, Shane James. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's easy, easy enough, right? Two first names. You can't get that one wrong. Apologize. Yeah. apologize for the complication <laughs> so he founded i'm gonna he founded idico and i'm actually before i even go and introduce it's all sustainable um go i mean he's just got a really good story you know i'm gonna just let you jump in and explain the company why you started it how it got here and then even a bit of what we talked about before you know um before we got on here i think it's important so give us a bit of your backstory yeah so itico is a small fashion label based in melbourne australia and we sell to consumers around the world primarily australia but north america is a, a growing and a big market for us um and we specialize in selling genuinely ethically made genuinely eco-friendly genuinely vegan clothing and footwear mm -hmm. And um, I started the brand about 15 years ago. Um, I know that's a long time ago, but when we started, uh, it was uh, the reality is we probably started about 10 years ahead of the market. Yeah, so, uh, totally. Um, I've been aware of about the exploitation of workers and farmers in the fashion industry from quite an early age because right. when I was growing up in Australia, uh, when I was quite young, my mother worked in the fashion industry in Australia. And... Uh, yeah, there's a big discrepancy what between what workers in the fashion industry in Australia were being paid and what products were being sold for. Right. Um, but, you know, there's not much you could do with it about it as a young kid. Right. Um, but as I kind of grew older, I became more aware of uh, exploitation of workers, not just in Australia, but also worldwide. Um, I used to go into retail shops when I was at university and I'd ask them if they could guarantee me that the clothing or footwear they were selling was free of child labor or sweatshop labor right and most retailers had little idea and most had no interest in understanding how they were sourcing their products yeah. and um, i used to upset quite a few retail managers when i used to ask these questions for sure <laughs> so when i was at university i kind of resorted to mainly wearing secondhand clothing um but you know um later on um i actually graduated as a high school teacher and i used to talk to kids about the impact of globalization right and we'd look at issues such we look at issues such as child and switch up labor and students would get really upset especially when i show them photos or videos yeah but when it came to i'm not sure where this is something in canada but we have schools have free dress days in australia where do you actually so in Australia, most schools have school uniforms. So every so often, they have what they refer to as free dress days, and right. the kids would turn the kids would turn up in free at, during free dress days wearing the very brands that were implicated in the use of child labour and sweatshop labour. But you can't really blame the kids. I mean, it's not their fault. 
Yeah, that's how capitalism works. Hundred percent. And um, teachers in the nineteen eighties, nineties in in Australia were, were perceived. I'm not sure whether the same thing is in Canada, but in Australia, teachers were perceived as being centre left or kind of socially justice focused. Right. And you know, we we were uh, we sit around the staff room talking about the evils of multinationals. But when it came to buying um, school uniforms or sports gear for the school, we wouldn't even think about how we were sourcing the products. Right, right. So, you know, the, the irony was missed by all 100%. of us, including myself. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I started, you know, I was, I was aware of the issue, but I didn't know what to do about it. Um, right. And then later on, um, after working as a high school teacher, I found employment on remote Indigenous communities in Northern Australia as an adult educator. And uh, I was given the opportunity to, to actually, I was actually meant to be running literacy numeracy programs on remote communities. Um, but while I was up there, a lot of people in the communities were asking me, why do we need literacy numeracy if there's no jobs on the community? And uh, I thought, well, they had a point there. So I was involved in setting up quite a few uh, indigenous owned enterprises these days or businesses now, nowadays you call them social enterprises yeah and uh we set up everything from a, a community laundromat to a video conferencing network right and uh one of the businesses we set up was a uh, a screen printing business where we where the community would print traditional designs onto t-shirts and fabric and it was quite successful um Kind of, it was called Yurumpi Crafts, and uh, yeah, it kind of took off. And we were supplying uh, retailers and some. Are you familiar with Oxfam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of Oxfam. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Oxfam's got a, a had a, a, a network of retail outlets in Australia, so they were our single biggest customer. We're, we're selling traditional designs, right? Uh, printed onto T-shirts and fabric uh, through shops around Australia. So I thought, okay, this is interesting. It's an interesting way of doing business because you could actually do something positive for the community. So mm -hmm. the business was wholly owned by the Indigenous community I was working on. And uh, so all the profits were coming back to the community. Right. And uh, at the time, this is in the late 80s, 1980s or early 1990s, um, you couldn't actually buy T-shirts with traditional designs in tourist outlets in Australia, which was actually printed by Aboriginal people. Hmm, interesting. So yeah, we we took advantage of that gap in the market. Right. Anyway, um, I thought, you know, I like the idea of doing business to do good. Right. Um, I had never heard the expression social enterprise until much later. But, you know, reflecting on it, that's what we were doing is we were running social enterprise. Yeah, yeah. After working for five years on remote communities, yeah, you know, we came back to Melbourne because I had a young family, and uh, I tried to work find work in the development sector um, with organisations such as Oxfam and World Vision, but I was unsuccessful. And I thought, you know, what else could I do? And I thought, why not set up my own business, which made money by doing good? And uh, I picked up the Australian distribution for a brand called No Sweat. Okay. No Sweat was a US base. It was actually based out of Boston. And it was run by a group of uh, union activists. Okay. 
And uh, yeah, they created a sneaker brand called No Sweat, which was the world's first ethically focused fashion brand. Okay. And I had the Australian uh, rights. And uh, yeah, we worked kind of quite well for a few years. But then I decided to kind of set up my own brand rather than yeah. rely on someone else's brand and I developed the Etico label. So Etico, the brand, is derived from, the name actually is derived from the Greek word ethiko, E-T-H-I-K-O, which means ethical. So the English, the English word ethical comes from the Greek word ethiko. Mm-hmm. And I just uh, shortened it a bit and called it yeah. Etico. So, so we've been focused on making genuinely eco-friendly, genuinely ethically made footwear from uh, clothing and footwear from the very beginning. Um, yeah, we work with producers in Pakistan and India, um, and our suppliers are part of the fair trade system. You've heard right. of fair trade coffee, fair trade chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is fair trade fashion, so all the okay. products are certified fair trade. Right. So it's not just me telling people we're doing the right thing. You know, we've got third party verification, right. which is important because a lot of I think there is. I mean, I know there is a lot of ethical washing going on. I'm not sure whether you're familiar with the expression ethical washing, and there's you probably heard of green washing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of brands are making claims and uh, about being ethical or eco friendly, but when you scratch below the surface, you realise that. Right, it's not as it's not the way they can portray it. So, I rely on third party verification to you know, to confirm everything we tell people. So, we're we're fair trade certified. We're also B Corp. You've heard of the B Corp movement? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're Etico is also a B Corp, and we're also a certified social enterprise. So in Australia, the social enterprise sector comes under the umbrella of a, a group called Social Traders. Okay, and they and they verified our social impact claims as well. Right. So, yeah, as a small business trying to do the right thing, um, I think it's important that we kind of back up any claims that we make. Right. And we do that by uh, working with accredible accreditations. Right. And I say credible accreditations because there are also a lot of uncredible accreditations out there these days. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of accreditations which are actually run by the very organisations that uh, the businesses themselves. Right. So what I like about the fair trade system, the fair trade system is now actually overseen by the very people who benefit from the system, the farmers and the workers. They right. actually control the board. Yeah. Right. And that's pretty important. To me. Amazing. So when it comes to the, you know, your the clothing industry, what percentage do you think in total actually is 100% ethical, sustainable, you know, conscious, like from top to bottom. Okay, I can't talk for the Canadian market, even the North American market, but in Australia, we have the what's called the Australian Ethical Fashion Report, okay. which comes out every year. It's been coming out every year since 2013. And last year, they audited about 500 fashion brands. Right. And of, of those 500, Four could prove that they paid workers in their supply chains a living wage. Only four out of that many. Out of 500, which is less than 1%. Yeah. Wow. And these are companies that are turning over hundreds of millions of dollars a year. I mean, right. The Australian market is not the size of the North America. I mean, I think uh, yeah. what's Canada's population? About 50 million? Yeah, around there, yeah. 
yeah, well, our population is half that. But uh, right. yeah, so a company, a big fashion brand in Australia would turn over hundreds of millions of dollars, yeah, rather than billions anyway. Yet only four could prove that they paid workers living wages. And of those four, we're the second biggest. So it's all wow. these small brands. Right. The thing is that we, what we all, all those four brands have in common is they were started with social impact in mind. Right. I'd be surprised if it's any different in Canada. No, no, I would, hundred percent. American Canada, we're going to get the same numbers too, right around that. What has been the biggest challenge for you in that, in, in, in the type of business? There's been quite a few, been quite a few challenges. Uh, number one, not really, not realizing early in the, when we first started up that there was a big gap between what people and organizations said they believed in and what they actually did as consumers. Oh, I remember I used to hear that all the time, right? So it's true. Well, the reality is it's still true. Yeah. Right. Um, and quite a few business owners, I mean, there's, there's been a, a number of social um, businesses like our startup over the year and fold, over the years and fold mm -hmm. in two or three years because they believed all the research. Right. So you know, if you go by the research, there's a huge market for eco-ethical vegan products. And I mean, it is. But it's not as big as everyone thinks it is. Yeah, right. And yeah, and if you if you're putting everything on the line, yeah, you're taking a bit of a bit of a risk. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember years ago doing a presentation at a marketing conference, and I was asked to talk about guerrilla marketing. I'm not sure people don't use that expression guerrilla marketing anymore, but it was a thing 10, 15 years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I have a book in the book right here, guerrilla marketing. <laughs> okay, well. Um, as a, yeah, I kind of tend to, I tended to specialize in guerrilla marketing. And I right. was asked to give a talk about guerrilla marketing at this conference. Anyway, I, uh, at that same conference, I, I met a guy called Tim Davini who had written a book in Australia called the, the Myth of the Ethical Consumer. Okay. And he talked about the gap between what people said they believed in what they actually did as consumers. And he gave an example of setting up a, a, a display in a coffee shop in Canberra, in 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 Australia, Canberra's our capital, and uh, he put up a big poster with a photo of a Ethiopian coffee grower, and the poster said that for an extra fifty cents you can buy fair trade coffee, which will help this farmer feed his family, send his kids to school, put a roof over their head, and uh, I did it for about a week, and during that week about six percent of the people who came into the coffee shop paid that extra 50 cents so six percent hmm. wow and how long ago was that <laughs> so probably about 10 12 years ago so do you think anyway uh, yeah. anyway but he he did the same experiment again the following week okay this is the way he told us uh, he did the same experiment the following week but this time what he did was did he has he has someone attractive of the opposite sex and serving customers mm. and uh, the number of people who paid that extra 50 cents grew substantially about 10 times. Wow. <laughs> so it, was, it was nearly 60%, 67%. And his thinking was that people want to be seen as doing the right thing by people they're trying to impress. Yeah, right. But if, if there's no one there to impress, only a small percentage of people actually prepared to put their money where their mouth is. 
I can agree. And I basically said, look, given what you just said, I actually met up with him after the presentation. I said, look, uh, I've started this eco-ethical fashion brand and uh, I really believe that there is a big market out there. But what you just told me, I think I'll just quit and go back to teaching, high, uh, high school teaching. Right. He said, no, no, what you've got to do is you've got to give people more than the story about being ethical. You've got to make it affordable. Uh, you can't make it more than 10, 15% more expensive than what you normally, uh, normally have to pay. Uh, you would have to make a good quality because people are prepared to pay a bit extra for good quality products. Right. And they'll come back if they know it's good quality. You've got to make it accessible. You've got to make it easy to buy your product. Um, because it is hard to buy genuinely ethically made products. And luckily around that time, the whole internet thing was, you know, online sales were taking off. Right. Yeah. And the last thing he told me to do was to make the brand cool, make the products kind of cool. Um, yeah. So even if people don't give a shit about what you're doing, they're still going to buy your product. That's true. And it just happens to be kind of genuinely ethically made in June. Yeah. Right. So I've tried to apply those lessons. Right. And so, it's been so, a bit of a challenge because, um, you know, I've always been under-resourced. But, you know, I think we're ticking a few boxes because, you know, we've got a loyal following, which is kind of growing. We have right. Like, repeat, we've got a repeat business, about 35% repeat customers. Right. That's huge. And, we, we're kind of, and we've got a, a, you know, we've got uh, customers around the world, not just in Australia. Right. I, so I think your I question? I love it. Well, I love the fact of, of, you know, what you said in the end there, because I mean, especially in North America, people buy on status, huge, 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 you know, and, and so you can, you can move the market, but you got to be very strategically smart in North America when, when we're, you know, moving the, moving the market like that. Yeah. So well, I'm trying to position Etico as the brand for people who give a shit about their fellow human beings the environment right. and animals. I love it. So when you when you see our symbol, you know, we want right. them to kind of identify and say, okay, this yeah. is what these guys stand for. So it is a, a form of virtual signaling. Yeah. But it's the right form of virtual. I mean, you, you are doing the right thing. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to just having a big Nike logo on your top and kind of thinking that you're kind of cool or athletic because you're wearing a fucking Nike top. Yeah. 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 I, I, lo I love that. I mean, it's so much for what we stand for too, you know, we're with the compassion stuff, you know, and I do so much teaching and talking that, you know, I'm very much about environment, animals and humanity and, you know, trying to educate and bring, you know, bring them up, bring everybody together to understand uh, all three, uh, which, which is, uh, you know, which is probably the hardest job in the world <laughs> to, to, to to start to talk about all those three subjects, which you guys are too. But, you know, I told you, you've got to make it easy for them to make the change. You've got to make it affordable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You've got to make it kind of cool. Yeah, 100%. It's just like how when, you know, the with vegan food now, how it all of a sudden exploded in the last, you know, five years. I mean, it's just, you know, when I take friends out that have never eaten vegan and it tastes good now, they're like, oh, this tastes good. Like, I, this was actually really good. Now, some of them might not be the most. It's also readily Yeah, but it's also readily available. Yeah. So you can go to your supermarket now. So in Australia, you know, supermarkets have only just recently embraced vegan food. Oh, really? Interesting. Wow. So now it's a lot easier. You, can, you don't have to go to your alternative retailer 
yeah for final you can just buy it anyway so yeah yeah so what's your uh what's your plan for future growth where do you see the where do you see your company you know in the next what's your goal for the next three five ten years with it well we need to grow substantially i mean um i along the journey of creating this brand i had to convince uh, factory owners that they had to work within the fair trade system in order to get our business and so they had to kind of make sure that they paid workers living wages they had to make sure that uh well they had to allow unions to operate in their factories which is right, a bit of an anathema yeah but, cool. <laughs> um but they did so because they expect that they're going to get you know more orders and right fair enough um so yeah we need to grow the business to help them justify their investment in the fair trade system but you know, whenever i go back to uh, pakistan or india where we source most of our products uh, you know i've got to know a lot of the farmers and a lot of the workers in the factories and they're always telling right. me about what they what they want to do with their fair trade premiums that we pay so over and above the cost of a product i have to pay 15 percent extra which goes into a fund which is shared amongst the workers and also amongst the farmers okay yeah and they always tell me about the things they want to do with that whether it's to help educate the kids or buy insurance insurance for all the workforce i mean there's quite a few things that they want to do so you feel a moral obligation to help them in these I men we're helping them achieve a living wage but they need a lot more yeah and um yeah we also you know i've i've invested quite a bit in the money in the business as well and so we need to scale it up so right we are at the level now where we are profitable we need but we need to take it to the next kind of level and that's what i'm trying to do so i'm getting ready to present to investors over the next few months right i'm just trying to decide at the moment whether i should go for private investors or whether i should go for um, crowdfunding for equity i'm not sure whether crowdfunding for equity is a thing in canada yeah 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 they've done it around here yeah yeah, well, I was thinking about doing the same thing, but I'm also open to the idea of working with uh, individuals who might have a bit of extra income, uh, uh, capital to invest in the business. So just weighing up the two. Um, but we've got a, I, mean, I mentioned to you before we started recording that we're developing a range of footwear, which is a, a vegan leather, but unlike all the vegan leather shoes on the market at the moment, it's actually 100% plant-based. Right. So um, we hope to release that by the middle of the next year. Um, we want to expand our, our fashion range. So we want to kind of offer brighter kind of colors in our clothing. So, you know, at the moment we're doing, I'm not sure whether the same thing, actually you're wearing a black t-shirt, but in Melbourne, you know, half of our wardrobes are black and we need to do some kind of brighter colors. And right. we, you know, we do hoodie tops, but we also want off tracksuit pants to match them. Yeah. Um, we've also got, uh, some interesting um, approaches to doing business and we need to promote them. So we've just, we just uh, launched a, a, an opportunity for consumers to tip the workers in the factories. So we've got a tipping program where you, when you buy one of our products, um, you have the opportunity to tip the workers who actually make your products. Okay. And that's the first in Australia. I don't think anyone is doing this in North America either. Right. That's cool. Yeah. And the idea is that um, we generate enough income for, for an extra two or three months worth of income for the workers. And then they could do that you know, to help their families do whatever they right. want. 
and a hundred percent of the money goes to the workers. All right. the um, uh, the cost of operating the system, we we wear that. Right. But and a, a labor rights organization in Pakistan oversees the management of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we're doing is um, we've um, we're just about to launch a, a new T-shirt called "Less Plastic, More Love." Okay. And it's a it's a fundraiser for a, an organization in India called Plastics for Change. And for every T-shirt that we sell, we pay them to collect ten kilograms of plastic. Oh, nice. And uh, the idea is that we sell a thousand T-shirts, which funds the collection of ten thousand kilograms of plastic or ten tons. And about eighty percent of that plastic waste is being converted to um, shampoo bottles for Garnier. Oh, nice. So there's there's just two um, yeah. campaigns that we're we're launching. Anyway, we need to raise the profile of those kind of things. We need to yeah do quite a bit of PR, and uh, yeah, there's no shortage of ideas. It just need, I just need the capital to apply these ideas. Yeah. Right. Right. So I mean, um, I look at. Uh, the potential for the brand, not just in Australia but worldwide, and I think it's quite substantial. It's just that we need to find the resources to, you know, have the stock available around the world. So it's crazy shipping products from Pakistan to Australia to Canada. So what we want to do is uh, send products straight to a warehouse in uh, North America and then distribute it that way. And right. that way, we actually make it more affordable for consumers in in North America to buy our products. Yeah, I would think that would be, you know, that that would be one of your keys, you know, and even now, right, you know, with everything's gone up so much with our shipping now, things when we go to ship certain things, right, it's $4, $8 more on certain things just with inside our country here. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, well, we've had to start increasing our prices. Um, yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, you know, we've committed to paying workers living wages and yeah. farmers a fair price and yeah. Right. I mean, you guys are the real deal. You know, you're doing the real thing. I actually like that idea on your the crowdfunding for for equity. You know, I think you might, you know, that that picked up a lot here in North America. And I still feel it's trending quite good. And I feel it's still kind of, you know, the, you know, the start of that, uh, you know, there could be, you know, you might even, I mean, this is a, you know, right now because of the economy and, and how volatile it is and stuff like that. But you might really want to look at too the blockchain and the NFT market and be able to tie that back into some of your stuff right now too. I think there could be a play there. And I think it, with the right strategy. Yeah, I need to get my head around I need to get my head around NFTs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a I'm a bit old school that way. Yeah. But if someone can direct me on how to take advantage can, of it and I can do direct you on that. I can direct you on that for sure. But even uh, you know, cryptocurrency, I, mean, I get people occasionally saying, oh, why don't you accept cryptocurrency? And I'm thinking, I can't pay my workers in crypto. I can't no, pay no, no. Farmers in crypto. So, yeah. Yeah, NFT, NFT, you would be looking at building into the business model and being like, it, it becomes a model and it becomes a part of equity and becomes a part of what they get with it. So they actually have a stake in the company. So... You might, you know, oh, that's what I'm giving. That's what I'm giving through crowdfunding for equity. I get a stake. Yeah, yeah. With the crowdfunding, you get equity. But I think if you go the NF, NFT play and you look, you start to understand it more. I think there could be a lot of potential uh, there for what you're doing, and it could probably get a lot of the NFT crowd involved in that in the 
and those that crowd involved that that do have money. Um, and I think we're coming, you know, of course, everybody took a big hit right now, you know, it's like in 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 all the markets from Bitcoin to crypto to to everything, right? But uh, you know, it you know, no matter what, it's the future, no matter what anybody stand the hardest part about that is when I started on the internet and I was selling internet services on Twitter, I used to have to convince people that social media was gonna work. Like I was convinced, they're like, ah, this ain't gonna work, Shane. I'm not gonna pay for that. I'm like, trust me, I just sold $30,000 worth of books on Twitter. I just did it. I was still having to convince. And so that to me, the the, the blockchain and, and, and NFT land right now is like internet 97, where, you know, people are, they're not, not figuring, and I, I, I think it's even harder because we actually have the internet. So they're like, well, how could this blockchain thing actually become, you know, the next thing? Right. When it is going to be, that's oh, all. Certainly with the blockchain, I can see how I can apply to my supply chain about tracking my supply chain. My supply, my supply chain is pretty simple. I've only ever worked with one group of farmers who supplies the cotton. Right. I've only ever worked with one supply of natural latex for our rubber. Um, we've only got two factories that one makes clothing, one makes footwear. Okay. Yeah. So it's a pretty simple structure. Right. It is. Yeah. But um, yeah, with NFTs, you know, someone needs to simplify it and give me a one-page summary about how I need to apply it. But uh, yeah, I can do that. Um, I mean, we just about we did a we had a we had a project eighty percent built out for the NFT market, and I had a lot of people involved and and good, super high-level, smart people involved, and we had our artists do all kinds of digital stuff, and it was tied to the Compassion brand, like it was more tied to actually physical stuff, utility. And, and because that's, I believe that it is, and we did have clothing uh, involved in it. It's just when the, we will pull the trigger on it again. It's just, we're watching the markets right now. It's just a matter of when we actually pull the trigger on it again. Sure. Um, keep us, yeah, keep us, keep us. If you can find information, that'd be great. I will hundred percent. So where can, uh, because I, we got people from all over the world that, that watch this too, and on, on Australia, because I've interviewed some people from Australia and stuff like that too. So um, where can they, find your guys' stuff at, I really believe in your guys' brand, by the way, you know, I, you guys are, you know, it's hard to find, I always say like that clean through and through trying to do it for the, all the right reasons, every step of the way it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard to find that in a lot of brands. So, you know, I really think people should support you guys. And, and I, I think you will do well in North America. I think it's, the, I think now the timing uh, is, is good in our, in our, in our countries like people are really like that's why i was interested when you said about then when he that guy did that study on that because i think now more like even now i see like more celebrities influencers and stuff like they're really trying to push stuff like they're really looking at the environment they're really looking at the next generation like they're really people are just slowly starting to become more conscious Right. Ten years ago, not a chance. You know what I mean? Like they were like, I don't want to hear about it. But I believe that they are. I believe we're in the pocket now of of that. So I believe brands like yours are are go can be the next the next the next thing. Yeah. Actually, I forgot to mention that there was a Canadian brand which did inspire me very early, actually, before I even launched our own brand. It was Adbusters. Adbusters, no, I don't remember them. Interesting. You look them up. It's actually a Canadian organization. Really? Huh. They created a sneaker called Black Spot Sneaker. Wow. <laughs> um, I think they've stopped doing it, but uh, no, they were the 
ones who were way ahead of even us. Wow, that was way, yeah, way ahead. <laughs> so where can where can everybody find you at website, social media? Yeah, so our website is uh, etico.com.au, E-T-I-K-O.com.au. Um, we do have a list of stockists uh, on our website. Um, but we also try and encourage people to go into retail outlets and ask them why they're not selling genuinely ethically made, genuinely eco-friendly, genuinely vegan clothing and footwear. Because uh, I know within Australia, a lot of retailers have actually told us that they feel uncomfortable with what we're doing, that they feel it raises too many questions about other brands in their store. Wow. But the, but the bottom line is if they know there's a market out there, they'll, they'll yeah. make the effort to start stocking those products. You've heard that expression that money talks. I'm not sure whether you have the same expression. Yeah, yeah we have that here. Yeah. The reality is that money screams. It doesn't just talk. Yeah. Yeah. So if a retailer knows they're going to miss out on your consumer dollar because they don't offer what you want, they'll make the effort to, to offer those kind of products. Yeah. But, uh, yeah etico.com.au and um yeah we sell worldwide we do deliver worldwide and uh i'm just wondering whether we should actually create a special discount code for your listeners but uh yeah i could easily kind of offer your your listeners a, a discount if they uh yeah would that be okay or yeah 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 of course 100 uh, percent i'm not sure whether i i need to create a code uh, but, uh, <laughs> I can't do it right now, but I can email you later and just say, yeah, pin, pin it to me later. And then I can put it under like the podcast and stuff like that as well. Right. Yeah. Well, I can just call it um, AOC or actions of change of sorry, actions of compassion. Passion, yeah. Um, or just AC and then the code. Yeah. And then the code. Yeah. That's easy. Yeah. hundred percent. Awesome. But uh, thanks for the opportunity to be interviewed and I uh, hope you're, audience found of interest and uh, so thanks for your question awesome well thanks for coming on and uh everybody go support them they're, they're truly uh doing it for the right reasons and 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 I, I think that uh it's not always easy to find brands um that have every piece of the business uh lined up so it actually is truthful I guess that's the more word, more word to put it, I guess. All right, everybody. Yeah. As I said, there are a few brands now. And even in Australia, we've got uh, Outland Denim who are doing really amazing work. But right. I'm sure there's quite a few in Canada as well. So, yeah, they all deserve support. Yeah, yeah 100%. The, the, the ones that are doing good keep doing good. And the ones that are say they're doing good, but they're not doing that good need to change. Simple as that. So take care, everybody. Talk soon.